All right, welcome to another episode of Morelia Python Radio. This is episode 514, and tonight we're joined by Ryan Presto. We talk about jungles and caging and up in the game and keeping carpets and maybe even Australian turtles, all kinds of stuff. All but first, yep. welcome to Morelia Python Radio. Let's uh, let's get this going and get Ryan on here and knock this out. Hey, Ryan, welcome to hey. NPR. How you doing, man? Good, good. It's great to be on here with you guys. Yeah, I've been trying this out for a while. And it seems like you know, I don't know, something happens, some kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Right. Cool. So, all good. So I, I guess we'll start with the first question that we ask everybody for their first time on here. What what brought you to reptiles? What got you into it? Oh, just as a a little kid loving dinosaurs and Godzilla. I think that's pretty much common for everybody that gets in this. And uh, and what what keep what keeps you in reptiles? What gets you going? What what jazzes you up? Uh I think that I it's good and bad. I like that there are still more obscure species uh that are out there even though a lot of the shows are kind of more ball python, bearded dragon, crested gecko. Every once in a while you find that gem when you walk around and then you want to know more about it and that leads down a rabbit hole. All right, so how many rabbit holes have you stumbled into? What what's the collection look like? <laughs> oh god. Um so right now I have a whopping 3 carpet pythons. <laughs> um three, they're all all three jungles and then I have um two baby snapping turtles that I found on the road and I'm just kind of giving them a head start. And they'll be getting re-released where I got them from. I just, I just couldn't, you know, stand to just be like, "Oh, best of luck on the road, bye." Mm-hmm. So, so the three carpets. You said they're all jungles. Um, and aside from the snapping turtles, any other snakes? No, um, I, I've only really, I've had carpets for six years now, but. Before, before I had gotten into those, um, started off with a bearded dragon and leopard gecko. I've had iguanas, um, different turtles, alligator snapping turtles, different soft shells. Um, and then if I had to put myself in any, uh, category for reptiles, I'm a croc guy at heart. Okay. I've had American alligators, Cuvier's dwarf caiman, um, Schneider's dwarf caiman, spectacled caiman. Um, that's all the species that I've had. And now in Ohio, you can only have the two dwarfs. Uh, so maybe one day I'll get back into that. But right now I'm a crockless croc guy. 
Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So have you learned anything while being a croc guy that you have used for, say, turtle care or snake care or anything like that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, And honestly, I should have probably led with this, too. Before I got into reptiles, I was uh, an aquarium hobbyist for ever since second grade. So I love being able to build my own filters for the animals because you can absolutely customize what you want. Um, It's easier. It's cheaper too. And then I think when you start out with something like fish, you, you watch them and you watch what they do and what they do tells you what they need. And then pretty soon you notice them breeding and raising babies and it just goes from there. Did being into aquatics lead you to into crocs or was it the other way around? Um, I think the aquatics definitely led me into those. I, I had freshwater stingrays before I, um, I got the alligator and then whenever I got him from a a lady who wasn't taking care of him, it went all downhill from there. Mm -hmm. There's just, there's just something about them that is untouchable by any other species in my mind. Okay. Yeah. I think the, uh, the idea of, um, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but when you came into, the reptile hobby come from the hobby. What were your thoughts? It seems like the uh, aquarium is way more advanced. Into, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Like uh, the aquarium hobby is is so much more advanced than the reptile right. hobby. The technology and there's not really that yeah. much of a Air. pressure on breeding. It's just <sighs> building a piece of nature in your living room, and then that's it. And so, right, right. yeah. So I, I, re, I remember reading um, different books and they would talk about you have to bring your reptile down to this this temperature. And before I, I was like, oh, I don't understand how you do that. Like on an aquarium thermostat on a heater, you can just set it and forget it. But unless you had something constantly monitoring, you know, that that heat spot or that light, they're not going to hit it. Uh, accurately I've got the herb stats now that's a game changer it's a, a step in the right direction yeah but I, I look at the reptile hobby and it seems like everybody wants to reinvent the wheel uh, like there's I think there's like four different missing companies Companies out there already. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, missing the Exoterra monsoon and a couple others, and it's like what what we really need. And I don't know if you got a chance to look at that at, um, Neptune Apex system. I what, did a little. What bit, we yeah. really need, they designed that system. Okay, so you mm-hmm. can take lights from other systems. You don't have to use Apex uh, or Neptune lights for that. Okay. And it's mm-hmm. still plug and play. And what I seriously think the best controller for this reptile hobby is going to be one 
that it picks the best out of all of these companies. Let's just say Arcadia for lighting and Mist King for misting. And it's able uh-huh. to plug and play integrate with all of those. Yeah. And if it doesn't have that in the beginning, you have modules that you can connect like the apex does. I mean, the most popular Herbstat's the most popular because you don't need to worry about getting a Herbstat model heat system. You just, if it can plug into a wall, it can plug into a Herbstat. So, um, right. Technology is right there. So. And when I, when I talked to them, um, mm-hmm. because I wanted to see, do you guys recommend any lights for dimming to simulate sunrise sunset? Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't anything that they recommended. Um, and then I said, okay, well, you're coming out with these wireless or uh, Wi-Fi herb stats. Mm-hmm. Are you just going to make like a module that can plug into herb stats we already have? Would be nice. And that way you have Wi-Fi. Yeah, no. They're, mm-hmm. from the last time I talked to them, this was a couple years ago, they're not going to do that. You have to buy it with the wi-fi already on it so yeah i figured that was gonna happen which sucks but well yeah i mean i don't know i i get that business model but at the same time you have so many people that have that mm-hmm. system that would like to adapt to wi-fi right and they're yeah. gonna go get it somewhere else so why not i don't understand why you wouldn't want to send that module because they would imagine that it's no different than if you buy something for your Apple home or Google home or, you know what I mean? Like if you're getting, you know, like, uh-huh. am, I, am I wrong in thinking that way? No, I mean, and other, other companies are going to catch up on that because it's like, I told you about, I bought the the new set of acrylics for $200 and it's the yeah. same tier tiered acrylics that fit in the ARS stacks. And they were sold through Walmart through, um, Chewy. They're really nice uh-huh. acrylics, and they close with magnets so that everything, like, once it's shut, there's no chance in hell a snake is opening that. So, right. and I don't have to worry about locks or all this other stuff. And it was $200. And I, I, every time I check ARS's website, they're not making displays anymore. They're not doing this anymore. They're not doing that anymore. So it's like eventually something is going to come up that can do it cheap enough that you're going to start looking outside the normal reptile companies. Like, some of these companies like Zilla and things like that are going to start dipping into this stuff. And it's only a matter of time before mm-hmm. they have systems that do all the things that we want them to do. Are they? Do you guys? Think I, I just feel are? like, like I, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm ignorant to it. Like, are they really going to advance that? I hope so. Cause that's how competition is the spice of life, baby. That's how everything moves <laughs> forward. That's how, that's how prices drop and systems get more advanced and shit starts moving. It's because, Somebody over here does this, and everybody realizes their sales have dropped, so they got a copy, and that's how that goes. Yeah. So I hope right. so. Yeah. I just feel like the the person that's going to come out on top of this is going to be the company that has the controller that gives you the most options. You want to hook up lights that dim. We can do that. You want to you know, simulate sunset, sunrise. You want to have a fogging that simulates like the, the mist coming in off of the ocean. You can plug in a fogger. You want rain, hook up a mister to it. You want breezes, 
hook up some of those like micro USB fans to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. It's <sighs> basically almost like a smart home system. It's, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it would be, it would be incredible if you went and were able to do that for each individual cage. Like, let's say you have your, um, Papua New Guinea carpets and you know, that has to have more of a a stable temperature, but you're going to give them more rain because they are more on the equator or something like that. Just an example. Well, we know that some species do well with temperature drops and some do well with food fluctuation. But then we also know there are some species that need almost a monsoon season. And I remember having a friend who had mm-hmm. cobras that they had to flood the cage because it needed to stimulate a monsoon. So if you could set a mister that it knows every year, this is when, like, on this day, downpour. That's one less thing I need to worry about, which is awesome. And, like, and if you could, that's, that's if you could one somehow of the cool... line that. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, like, that's one of the cool things. There are optical sensors that they use for monitoring the the reservoir water levels in like a reverse osmosis tank. Mm-hmm. How cool would that be to plug and play that in your reptile tank? You need that water depth to be three inches or whatever. Have it rain until it hits three inches and then shut off, you know? Yeah. That'd be oh, cool. Wow. I mean, we're just Actually, on the tip yeah. of the iceberg. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I remember talking to uh, to uh, Matt at Carpet Fest about him. He was building these chondro cages, and basically the one thing that he was saying is about the humidity and then, like, hooking up these computer fans to sort of push out the cage. So it's sort of in this cycle thing where they're not constantly in this damp, wet environment. But... You know, imagine if you could somehow connect that to where you have like this, you know, I don't know, the humidity in the cage to be a certain amount. And when mm-hmm. it goes, you know, and it needs to do whatever, you know, fresh air in. And I don't know, man, you could tie that up to, uh, I wonder if you could somehow, you know, figure out the weather of the environment of the species that it was in, you know, I'm just mm-hmm. thinking of our phones, tell us the weather all, you know. Obviously, it's not exactly the mic hats, but at least you would have an idea you know, mm-hmm. when sunrise, sunset, and it could just sort of mimic that um, in that basically you're going to have a computer running your cage. This is what mm-hmm. it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah, and that's awesome. Sure is. Once <laughs> a startup. <laughs> Let's get this baby going. This is how we're going to make money in the reptile. Yeah, yeah. there it is. <laughs> Forget uh, the serpentarium. That's that's where that's where it's at. <laughs> uh, what do you think, Ryan? What's your thoughts? Oh, I would love to be part of that because I feel like that is such an untapped part of this hobby. You have a couple people working on it. Um, uh, Dale Tamura on that advanced chameleon caging. I think he's building his own systems now. Um, but yeah, I just feel like 
if you have the technology that can go simulate different wave systems and whether you're at like the the front of a drop off with with water flow and can do mm-hmm. like a lightning storm on the tank mm-hmm. like there's got to be there's got to be something out there just nobody sat down and hooked it all up yet well when i was in australia scott iper showing me um uh, an app that he used, I believe, I want to say it was again for the aquarium hobby, but like it simulated moon phases and you know the lighting, uh, lightning storms. It's you know what time of the day it was. Um, you know, wow, that's cool. And the light and the lighting would sort of change, and it, it, yeah, it was it was pretty neat. It's pretty really neat. Was he able to hook up? like a mister whenever it was lightning to simulate the rain. I couldn't remember if he had that or not. I know we talked about it, but I can't remember if he had that in, and he didn't have anything in the, in the tank. It was just like a, a a bioactive tank that he had set up. Um, And basically, you know, and, and, you know, it comes to bioactivity, you know, he made a good point that a lot of people don't think, well, maybe they do, but maybe the people that are coming into it, coming from more of a, simplistic approach don't think about it i know i didn't think about it but you know you should let your bioactivity run for a good while to sort of get yeah going Mm -hmm. before you add an animal to it Um, but right that's a whole do that's a whole thing you have to make sure that that's running and that the colony can maintain itself before you even introduce the animal otherwise Something's going to happen. All your mites are going to die or doobie or whatever you're using. So, yeah. What are they? Roly polies? That's the. Yeah. Roly poly bugs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Little, little orange ones or whatever they are. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was interesting. It was really cool. That's that's what sort of got me thinking about some of the stuff that you were talking about, Ryan, when it comes to. Um, what was the thing you were telling me about the uh, the hydro thing that the, the oh. dad was using? Yeah, so um, I don't know if you remember, but Exoterra had these little um, vibrating uh, ceramic discs that would produce fog. I don't know if you remember ever seeing those, but... No, um, I don't. Okay, the people at House of Hydro, they have basically commercial-sized ultrasonic discs, and whenever I saw how how Dale hooked his up is you have to have a reverse osmosis filter. So you have pure water that goes into a garbage can. And then you've got, um, the ultrasonic discs that vibrate to produce the fog. And then you use a waterproof like computer fan to blow that out. And because it's, it's in a, a fine like fog. It's going to stay in contact with the air a lot longer than like using a mister would. Okay. So that's going to raise your humidity. But then it got me to thinking if I was going to do it for, let's say snakes, I think what I would do is I would put a divider on the lid. I would have one set of ultrasonic discs for like fogging the room to get the humidity to a certain point, but then I would have another set of discs 
and a fan that blew into like a reduced down to a half inch PVC pipe. And I would pipe uh-huh. that up and I would put um, bulkheads with uh, like the strainers screwed on them into every single cage and have uh, a piece of vinyl tubing coming into the main line that the fog is going through. And mm-hmm. that way you can fog each individual cage mm-hmm. and put a, just put a valve on it so you can control how much is going in there. I've never done it. This is all in my head thinking about mm-hmm. it, but uh, um, I would think that it would work. The only thing is you have to make sure that the fog line is going to be lower than the line, uh, than like the bulkheads with the strainers going in to the cages because if, as that fog kind of collects inside the pipe, it's going to you know be water in the bottom of the pipe and you want that to be able to run back down into your water reservoir and not into your cages. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Huh. But like, I mean, there's go ahead. Oh, I I was just saying like they, they use it for different communities that live like by the ocean in the desert. And uh-huh. the fog rolls in; it's there for just a little bit, and then goes away. But something like that—you could do that with like desert snakes too. I'm sure that would be cool. Yeah, that, yeah. that's interesting. That's uh, man. <laughs> There's so much untapped potential there in that in that space. That and and you would think with the people. It seems like more and more people are towards like naturalistic type of setups, uh, or mm. the pet market, mm-hmm. if you will, is more mm-hmm. towards the uh, naturalistic setups. That um, you know, people would be on top of this. What do you think about? What's your thoughts on things like UV and stuff like that coming from, like the aquarium sightings? Where do you think that plays in with snakes? Have you thought about that? And turtles. Um. I I have yeah, I about that. Um I think that there definitely is a place for it with with the snakes. Um I know especially stuff like diamond pythons and bolens, absolutely. Um just because they have to be out in that sun, I think a lot a lot more more direct. Um uh, I think it's Ryan McVeigh's company. I think he has like micro UVB bulbs. I think. Yeah. Um, yep. Okay. So I would like to look towards installing something like that in my cages later on. Uh-huh. Um, I don't see, what I don't see something? what it could hurt. Right. What's your thoughts as far as like, uh, are you going to place it where the heat is or is it is, are you thinking that you're going to put it in a separate spot where they could bask in that UV without the heat? Um, so in, in my, all right. in my female jungle carpets cage, she's got, um, I think the 80 watt infrared, heat panel from reptile basics so Mm -hmm. it takes up a lot of the flat area in the cage 
So I would probably hit to squeeze it right next to it. Um, and then my boys, I have them on the 40 watt radiant heat panels just because you're always introducing the male to the female's cage. So it's good to have the bigger basking area mm-hmm. um, with her. So with the yeah. boys, I would probably, eh, I probably just put it right next to it. They're getting heat and UV. But I think you have to be careful too about how much uh, UVB they're getting and definitely put like a a wire basket cage around the bulb so they can't come in contact with it. Because they'll be stupid and do it. Yeah. You know, I wonder like with, uh, with species like jungles in particular, right. You know, where, Mm -hmm. where they're more under the canopy um, of a rainforest is, is do you, what do you guys think about as far as like, moving from say species to you know or subspecies specific or would you do that for all your snakes i think it would be species specific or at least how you how mm-hmm. much you give i'd give more to a jungle right. than i would a bread lie and more to Ryan, a white doesn't he, yeah yeah doesn't he have like I think he has specific bulbs, so maybe it's less UV that like a, a jungle. Yeah. I, th- I think he has that, right? He has or, like tortoise bulbs, and then he's got like snake bulbs like and lizard desert. bulbs, and yeah, mm-hmm. I, I gotcha. Yep, hmm. R- right. So i I feel like I would be more inclined just because the the bread liar out there in the desert. I feel like I would do. Uh, I would probably have that with a higher higher UVB and the jungle because it's in that canopy, I would probably go lower something like you would do for a frog. Yeah. I misspoke. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 No worries. Okay. What else would you, uh, what else, where else do you see opportunities as far as, uh, proving keep? Um, bigger, cages just uh more or no i'm saying this wrong less is more um i like my my cages for my carpets right now are they um they're 40 inches wide 22 inches deep and 36 inches high and i feel like they need that ability to be able to go up and down. Um, and what, what just, I shake my head is, uh, some of the green tree guys that they keep them in a two foot cube. And we know right from, from, uh, DM exotics going there and seeing them. They're making this trip from the tree, treetops down lower to the ground to hunt. You should give them that option. I'm not saying, that exercise is absolutely going to cure whenever they have prolapses, but I don't see how it could hurt to have a snake with really good muscle tone. No, I, I, I would agree. I, the, only, the only thing I would get into that is I remember we had Don Patterson on a long time ago and um, he was talking about the same type of thing where, you know, whenever you see, you know, when you look at the natural history of a chondro python, they're going up and down the tree, you know, at the night. That, I mean, 
during the day, they'll go up into the canopy, maybe bask beneath some little spots where they can get some some uh, some warmth. But you know, at night they'll come down. So one of the things that he was thinking about is like taking a cage, like the APs back here, and instead of having it this you know horizontal, he was going to make it vertical. And mm. um, he said that that didn't work. I don't know if he just sort of, you know, stopped doing it because maybe it, you know, I, I mean, I know he's a, he's a, he's a pretty big breeder in Canada. So maybe there were some obstacles or whatever with it, but I remember him saying that it didn't work the way he thought it was. Maybe you tweet, you know, a bit, I don't know, but look at the natural history. That would make sense. Right. Yeah. Right. I, whenever, when, um, when I had, I did epic fails with green trees, but whenever I did have them, I had uh, uh-huh. like a wise a wise camera, and it had infrared vision on it. Uh-huh. And he would be all curled up on a stick during the day, but then as soon as you turn the lights off, within five minutes, he's cruising that entire cage, and you would never know because it's in pitch black. You'd never see it without that camera. Oh, I got you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an interesting so, attack too. <laughs> Having that opportunity oh, yeah. to see your animals in yeah. black park, you know. It was it was like um in the uh David Attenborough documentary, the the secret lives of uh reptiles, I think that's what it was uh, called. But he he sits yes. there and they've got one of those cameras with a timber rattlesnake. And it doesn't oh, move, yeah, yeah, and it yeah. doesn't the, move, and then the chipmunks running along yeah. the log, and it kind of positions itself. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Like yep. Cold blood. That's that's, that's yeah. That's it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 It, it was just really. If you haven't seen it. Oh yeah. Um, it was just really cool to see that that switch from just snake on a stick all day to something that's out moving, cruising, looking around, drinking water. You'd never know if you didn't see it on that camera. Huh. How long did it go? Did you ever see, what was the longest that you were able to see it move? Hours. Hours. I probably, yeah. I mean, probably a good, a good two hours before I fell asleep watching it, but he's cruising. (laughs) all over the place. Um, right. Also, don't just give the snake one perch. Give them a variety of different sizes, shapes. Um, I, and this is just my opinion, but like when keeping keeping birds, sometimes if you just have them all on the same size perch, uh, it messes with their feet. Bumblefoot. I'm not saying that's going to happen. Yeah, I'm not saying that's going to happen exactly with your snake, but giving it the opportunity to grip different sizes, um, I think definitely would help. You know, I'm, I'm, I've said before, um, for keeping my snakes in racks for such a, such a long time, I noticed that the, the prehensile nature of the tail seemed to, uh, be not as strong as, you know, like, as I remember, and um, mm-hmm. I'm curious as I'm switching back to more caging, if it will change. 
and we become stronger because I know it makes sense. Muscles in reptiles are different than muscles in humans, and I understand that. Um, but I just wonder if mm-hmm. it's the type of thing where it's something that they, if they're not really using it, is it, you know, I mean, they evolve to have it. Can they evolve? I mean, great. It's not happening. Just in, uh, you know. Well, I mean, the, with you, one, you don't use muscles, they will atrophy. That That's true across everything. So maybe they won't use them or maybe they'll just be out of shape and they'll fall off the perch a couple of times and it'll take a couple yeah. reps and moving and stuff like that. And then they'll get to it. So it, it I think it really depends. Yeah. Hmm. I would imagine that it just leads to better overall health, you know, but uh, I mean, we kind of talked about this when I put the mm-hmm. stats on the, the, the cyclical stuff where they go, they, they raise up and down and that's year round is I don't just have a snake that sits in one place all the time waiting for the heat to turn on. They have to, they move and that helps. Yeah. And you know, it's the same thing with the whole very diet drum that I keep hitting where it's like, it can't hurt. So why not? Yeah. I think you're spot on with that. And I think that's really some of the reason why you've had such huge successes because you're, you're, I mean, with not meaning breeding them as much as just having healthy clutches, you know, I would yeah. imagine that that very diet, yeah, you've had healthy clutches for sure. Almost, almost too. What have you done? I know I need to scale it back a little bit, but it's like, it's it, the whole point is healthy baby. And, and that's what, yeah. if you're breeding, that's, that's the whole point. So anything that could lead to healthy baby, you should try. Um, and I'm still like you, you saw like the whole room's a mess because I'm in reconstruction and revamping and changing. Aren't we all? <laughs> I want to put everything up yeah. on casters so I can get some LED lights in those cages because I'm tired of that white. I'm sorry. I'm tired of that water python coming from my throat when I can't see her in the back of the cage. So, yeah, <clears throat> you know, I um, sent you the picture of. I really like the uh, the one cage. Well, I think it's I don't know which one specific, but you sort of have a jungle doing the chondro type of pose. But I like how you have the the branches set up. You have it. You really have like what I've seen of wild carpets, sort of you know do when they're in the trees. Oh well, well, thank you. I yeah. uh. What's your what are you what are you putting them up with? Are you just securing them with screws, or what's what's your approach? So I take I take the branches and then I just measure to what they'll fit in the bin, and I measure uh, diagonally when I can, um, and I try to make like an X out of the branches because carpets like that little bit more of support, um, and then. I use, this is important for, for putting stuff in cages, always use stainless steel. That way it won't rust. So I use stainless steel wood screws. And then, um, I, I use a product, I think they're called screw caps, which basically, um, there's like a, almost like a washer. The screw goes through the hole of the washer and then there's a little cap on a piece of plastic that you pop over the top of the screw 
That way uh-huh. it doesn't it doesn't look like all these silver screw heads sticking out. It looks a lot more uniform. Okay. Okay. I like that. You know, uh, small small things help. Right. Yeah. It's just on a black cage, you're gonna notice those silver dots. Um Yeah. Yeah. And then there's no silver uh, dots in Australia. What the heck? <laughs> please, please, I, I throw screws in my reptiles' cages. Like you know, I, I constantly litter in their cages. You're gonna experience the wild, bitch. Broken glass, garbage. I put one of my snakes through one of those like Pepsi bottle like holder things and left them. Like yeah, that's a joke, people. That's a, please, God, don't do it. <laughs> Jesus Christ! There's some dude with a breath like going what? Like, don't do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Let's talk about some other tech for the reptile room. Um, you know, you said you had a bunch of like, thoughts. I know one of the things you were talking to me about was like automatic uh, closing hinges on the snake room door. What, what was that? God, that yes. would be awesome. Some yes. asshole okay. keeps even my cages open. <laughs> okay. Well, then you'll like this then. Um, so. I'm a union carpenter and some of the job sites that I worked at were um, mental institutions and it was important to have self-closing doors. Uh, But they also could not have like the normal uh, pneumatic latch system, like at the top of the door because they were worried Uh about people hanging themselves. So there are hinges. They're called Roton hinges. R O, uh, I think yeah, I think Roton hinges, and basically, um, there's a, it's a hinge, but it's got like a a spring inside of it, and you set. No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They're bomber hinges, bomber hinges. It's B O M M E R. And with those hinges, there's a spring inside of it, and there's a little set screw that you can set the tension of the spring. Um, And you can literally just put those even on, like, regular doors inside your house. You might have to chisel out a little bit around, like, trace the pattern of where it's going to be. But you literally can make your snake doors self-closing. The only thing is be very careful letting go of the hinge after you've twisted that tension spring up with that set screw, because if it snaps on your hand, it's going to hurt. Okay. Bomber commercial grade gravity. Yeah, these are really accessible. Kit. Yeah. Um, and one, one other thing that I would just tell everybody to do, or if you can, Whenever I get a snake room one day, I want to do it. I want to have um, like a double door catch system. That way, two two barriers are better than one. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I was just putting up on the screen what the... Yeah. Just... <clears throat> yep. And I think... So those... You can, I mean, you can even get them to where they look like normal door hinges. That's what we used. Um, they okay. just have that spring in them. 
Um, and then the other, the other thing I was going to say is if I would like to have a, a grid ceiling in the snake room, just to be able to access stuff if you need to, um, like piping uh, electrical. Oh, right. I got you. So the idea is you don't let it go up there. Yeah. So <laughs> right. But I have something for you, even if it does try to go up there. There are clips. They're called suicide clips. And they sit on the uh the metal grid system and then you twist them and they lock down the ceiling tiles. And you just start with the outside perimeter of the room and you work your way inward so that the very center square in your ceiling is the only one that doesn't have those clips on it. So even if a Ah. snake pushes, he's, you know, out of a hundred tiles, he's got to find one in the center of the room in order to get up in the ceiling. Right. And so long as there's (laughs) not anything... To get up there, yeah. Right. Wouldn't it be my luck that they would go? One the like, oh, you walk in that one pile <laughs> off. It's like, ah, oh, god damn it! And then you can't get up there to get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start, yeah. start pulling clips. Uh, yeah, that's when you're breaking your ceiling, man. That's when you're just going to be start ripping stuff down. Yeah, <laughs> most expensive yeah, snake in the collection would, too. I guess you would want to run like if you could. You wouldn't have sweat to feeling you want to be able to run stuff through you know like above um you know above the this you know in that space you know um right but, like i w- i was thinking like uh electrical conduit up there like they do in commercial construction because you can always add on like a a t and go down and put another plug in if you want to yeah. It, it gives you the ability to grow with your snake room instead of it's all got to be perfect the first time. Yeah. <laughs> I know that feeling all too well. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a pretty good idea. You know? Um, was, oh, did you, wasn't it, was it you at your mom's house that had a snake go into the. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was my female IJ went up into the drop ceiling and then that drop ceiling led to. I guess there was a small gap and then there was outside because I ended up finding her underneath the front step of my mom's place curled up in a corner. So shit. Yeah. Yeah, She made it outside. Yeah. That was terrifying. Yeah. So I, I, (laughs) I I really want to get to when, when, when we finally move into another place, um, I want ceilings that are so high that the snakes like, you know, yeah, good luck getting up there. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't want, uh, uh, I just I feel like we we should do everything we can to be as responsible as possible so that whenever somebody looks on YouTube and sees the person free handling the cobra we can go no 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 that's not us we don't want any part of that we do things by the book incorrectly over here yeah yeah that's a that's a whole nother. <laughs> that's a whole nother. Yeah, a whole nother can of worms. <laughs> yeah. I, I just yes, think you are, if, you are correct. Yeah. If you try to make it as escape proof as possible, safe as possible, you're already checking things off that 
you just eliminated the possibility of something potentially happening because we've all forgotten to shut a, a snake cage door. You're busy, you're cleaning, it happens. Yep. Yeah. 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 Do you, <clears throat> I'm curious with your, with your thoughts now that I'm getting new cages, right? So on these cages, I have sliding glass doors. I said mining door enclosures. Do you prefer that over, say, like a hinge type of door? Oh, I love the sliding doors, especially whenever you've got carpets that are, they like to be bitey inside the cage. It yeah. makes it makes accessing them, feeding them, working around them so much easier. Um, the The nice thing is with like the height on mine now, they stay up at, at the top. So they have their space. They know I stay to the bottom and clean and we never, we never really bump into each other. I only handle them usually maybe once a year. I'm pretty hands off with my animals. Um, but like, it's great that you got the sliding doors. The Condro guys can do it. Um, like I know Gary Shavino, his cage is open down. They work for him. Yeah. I just feel, I just feel like sliding is better. The only thing, the only thing that I would change is I hate glass. I love acrylic and the beauty of having snakes is they don't have any legs or nails to scratch the acrylic up with. Um, I just feel like what is it that you don't like about glass? It's just oh man, god, it breaks. It, That's why it <laughs> will all kinds yeah, of you, hell. <laughs> if you give it the opportunity, it will let you down every, every single time. At work, we do these walls called um, dirt walls, and you're literally uh -huh. picking up sheets of glass that are like nine nine feet by five feet. I think was our biggest that we did. It was like 350 pounds and it didn't happen to me, but another guy just, uh, it's, it's safety tempered and he just nicked the corner of it when he was putting it into the frame and it exploded on him Ooh. like shrapnel. He got all cut up. Um, I've had in a 125 gallon fish tank, I've had a front panel blow out on me. And fish go flying across the floor. I hate glass. <laughs> yeah, that would do it. <laughs> yeah, I I, I, yeah. I six stitches in my hand from glass. No, glass sucks. Do you have all acrylic and, going? Apparently, I am slowly phasing out the glass, but I gotcha. I'm going to redo my wood cages to have drop down drop down cages because that's what originally Keith had designed. And because I did the sliders, there's enough of a gap between the center support and the tracks that snakes are like, I could fit in there. And that just leads yeah. to all kinds of hell. So uh, I will be upgrading to um, drop down doors for them. Okay. Very cool. Acrylic is stronger than glass, you? too. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to use acrylic just, inside. But yeah. Yeah. Just because it's stronger, too. Yeah, and you can get oh, it. I have just, a circular saw blade that can cut acrylic. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you can do that, too, where it's you can cut it to shape and all the other fun stuff. And it doesn't come out sharp enough to slice you open. So, right. Yeah, and I guess with 
no, you know, no nails or anything like that to scratch it up. I mean, obviously you wouldn't want a monitor in there, but uh, <laughs> no, I mean, they get, I have that one yeah. cage where uh, a friend put a Savannah monitor in there for like five seconds, like when we were like at lunch or something like that. And he just chucked yeah. it in there and it's frosted glass now because all it did was just scratch the acrylic, yeah. the two windows, mm-hmm. which is good. I put right. my, you know, feistier snakes in it and it's fine. They can't see me that well. It works. You could buff right. it out if you want. It takes time, effort. I ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> I don't know how you have time for anything, Owen. I don't. <laughs> I, you've seen my, you've seen what's going on downstairs. I'm like, oh no! What have we? What have I, we I sh- done? I showed We've you everything. I said, <laughs> I showed you everything. I said, this is what Rob Stone meant by having a small collection that seems big, right? And you're like, no, <laughs> not at all. Oh, <sighs> uh, where do you see your collection growing, Ryan? Do you can do you see yourself continuing to grow, or what? Where where do you see yourself? Yeah. Um, so, jungles will always be. At my heart for Morelia. Um, I definitely want Darwin carpet pythons again, like an idiot. Whenever I was working out of town a lot, I went and sold my pair. So I definitely need some wow. of those and uh, children's pythons. I want to get some of those. Sure. Those are the, yeah, those are the absolute yeah. musts. Um, and the other two, they're on the wish list, but they're so expensive right now is uh, rough scale pythons and pygmy pythons. They're just yep. out of my yep. budget right now. What is it about children's pythons that, like, it's absolute must that you have them? Oh, I think you froze. Uh, can you still hear me okay? Yeah, there you go. Okay. Um, yeah. It decided that it must try to eat me. So what it did was it it got to the front of my pinky, and it kind of worked its way down to the first digit. That's as far as it could go, I think. And so basically I had a, a snake fi- uh, finger puppet for a couple of minutes. <laughs> okay. And... I don't know. I just I I like that attitude. Oh yeah, I can eat that, no problem. Um, yeah, and I th- they catch bats too. I think, which is really really cool. Yeah. Well, we went uh, on our last trip. We went up to um, we went up to uh, a bunch of caves. Um, I'm just going to blank on the name of the caves at the moment. Um, but uh, I will remember momentarily anyway that's not the 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 important part it was um uh spotted pythons that we were going to check out that sort of hang mm. up in that area as the come at uh, the uh of the caves um it was it was different than what i thought but i can tell you man the temperature in that cave was just crazy cold compared mm. to um you know uh, oh, it's uh, duh, Matt, uh, at Acadia National Park is where we went. Um, I'll uh, show you something real quick. Okay, I bet those bats. That's it. 
I bet those bats show up like nothing else in that cold cave using their heat pits. Yeah. Yeah. I would. Uh, yeah. It's just a, just cold air. It's almost like air conditioning. It was, it was really wild. Yeah. It was really, oh, wow. really kind of crazy. So, um, but yeah, all in that, it was, uh, here's a, it was just like granny drops. Yeah, and just sort of there, oh, wow. sitting there waiting. Yeah. yeah, that was a really cool spot. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. Um, I would imagine that uh, Antaresia just in general probably do that. But uh, I know in that area, it was the spotted pythons. That. I would imagine up in the Northern Territory where it's all the children's pythons, you could definitely see them hanging out. Um by caves, I mean that's where the Owen Pelly came out. Was <laughs> just a crack in a cave, you know. So and I, I think I that's imagine. the only shelter. You know, the 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 area is so harsh and hazardous up there. I think that's the only shelter is to go into a cave or underground, hide somewhere. Yeah. I, you know, I remember Planet Earth being a spotted python, but it's weird. I think it's one of those Doppler ganger things where it actually was some type of boa. That was really on that series. Mm-hmm. Some West Indian boa that did it, but I, I, I do know that uh, you know carpets do it. I would imagine a whole bunch of different snakes do it. Retics do it too, right? Yeah, hang out in caves. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. I mean, there was that. <laughs> um, who was that guy who went into the retic cave and got like like bit in like waist deep bat? Thank yep. you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> See, he was going like cave. <laughs> I feel like I feel like he overplayed that a bit. Of course he did. Yeah. Oh yeah. Of course he did. Listen, I've been bit by animals. It sucks. All right. Like a two foot yeah. carpet python got my finger right in the knuckle, and now I my tip of my finger tingles, which is weird. <laughs> I imagine it'll yeah. stop. If it doesn't, this is just life now. But. Screaming I mean, it like is a that. bit of a serious situation. I, it is. You haven't been caught in a by a you know a relatively it's large pipe goddamn place in the world to have an open and wound. Uh, out of all like, places, oh my god, god. Yeah. <laughs> probably hey, not. The amount of shots they had to give him when he got back to camp what? must have been ridiculous. Yeah. Man. Oh yeah. yeah so in- infection for sure. Yeah, I'm sure back on those clean. I, th- I it's wow. it's just funny to me how 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 out of touch we are with um you know nature itself and like um just the whole idea of that we sort of like look at as like no big deal, which you know thousands of years ago would have meant life or death. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I, I'm just thinking of like a, even just the storm. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just like a lightning storm. We just go inside. Like, ah, what are you whining about? No big deal. Was you know? I don't know. Just I mean, this there's, uh, there's a lot of stuff right that, now. Where I mean, there's a lot of stuff I think we could have learned at a certain time, but that time is so like past now. Like, if herpetoculture had started with observing and these are all the things that are important and this that it almost seems like herpetoculture started with 
how do we get these animals to reproduce in a box for the cheapest amount? Like I want to, I want to put as less money into this as possible. And there's a lot of stuff we missed and a lot of stuff that we have to go back on now. Yeah. I think, um, I don't know. I think my thoughts on that are, is, is sort of like, I think that just comes down to, in the earlier days, I think people's perceptions of snakes and snakes, well, just even animals in general and their intelligence and their level of intelligence. Um, I think now that they're able to study that with the technology, they're, more, they're able to go more in depth to be able to figure out like maybe more closely what's really going on inside an animal's brain um, and how they're perceiving the world. And maybe now that we're realizing that, realize that maybe snakes are as stupid as we perceive. I mean, you know, Owen, you've you've come up in that vein where they're like, they're just dumb. The excuse yeah. used to be like, if you kept them in any kind of like, just simplistic, uh, especially for pythons. They don't because need Because they're it, just yeah. ambush predators, right? You know, <clears throat> they're just away. They don't really need this, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. Do they? Do they not? I don't know. But it seems like the snake world is the last holdout of. Uh, oh, it's the last one to to move the move the ball forward a little bit. It's like yeah. how was it? I put in the tunnels, and somebody's like, "Do you have to show them how to use it?" No, they got it. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> like, sure they know how to go through yeah. a hole. Yeah. I think. I guess I with think, aquar- was there a time when aquarium keeping was like that, Ryan? Yeah. In the in the very very beginning, you had like simple simple filters and stuff, um, like just a, a box filter with some like a pillow stuffing or whatever it is. Um, but I feel yep. like people have always wanted to create that underwater environment, just because it's it's so foreign to us as a land creature. Um, right. and a lot of, a lot of stuff too, is those, those fish that they would be getting, I mean, in the, in the very, very early times, like Victorian era and stuff, it was, they were not considered disposable. Like a lot of reptiles were like, right. if this dies, we'll just go out and catch another one. No, right. you have to go get a steamship get that steamship and the collector back over into the country where you got it from um, or in an airplane or whatever. But it was, uh, yeah, I I just think people want that piece of nature in their home. And yeah. Right. It just yeah, seems like we didn't take that tough. extra step of making the nature. We just snake in a box, good enough. <laughs> the snake is nature, right. like um, right. Which you know, I I have people comment on my rhino cage more than anything else. It's you know, that's, uh, dude, that's fucking cool, man. That's really cool. People like that over, like I can have the most gorgeous python in a bin. I do. I have teamors in a bin. And it kind of yeah. detracts a little bit from them when they're in a bin. Just now I have plans on moving them out, but they're still growing. And also they, they tweaked when Rob Stone put them in cages. So there's that whole thing. But I think 
people are always going to appreciate more that next step of setting up a large cage or setting up some sort of display, um, especially somebody who's not plugged into reptiles like we are, but people who are appreciate it as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's Ryan, so you know, like Owen has this, um, I want to call it like an octagon type yeah, of cage. It's that's an octagon. like if you went to uh, PetSmart, maybe that back in the I day, where they, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like one of those things where they would keep the ferrets or something mm-hmm. and they would, you know, they would be out oh, that big, okay. like, circular, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So he yep. has that. And that's his rhino cage, and he has like this natural background that he that he built across the back of it, and there's all kind of like oh wow, the tree know, out of a corporate tube, and yeah, <laughs> plants and bamboo, yeah, all yeah. kinds of shit, and then yeah, a plastic really ceiling cool. hide just kind of over there. <laughs> 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 couldn't yeah, couldn't yeah, judge yeah. that up a little bit, but yeah, yeah, well, you know, and whatever they, they like it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, they are cool. such an arboreal species. I rarely ever see them on the ground. Rarely, I feel like that. Uh, there's another another part of the the reptile hobby too that I feel like it's a lot more prevalent than uh, in the aquarium hobby, and that's you have people who they keep it because it's rare, but they don't really like it. I guess there's mm-hmm. two kinds of people. You know, Eric, you love your pop one carpet pythons because you love them it doesn't matter if they were worth ten thousand dollars a piece or you were picking them up off the sidewalk it doesn't matter you love them because you love them and right there are people who they have to have a bolens python well why do you need a bolens python because it's rare that's the only reason you need it is because it's rare and to get followers on social media and I think you're always chasing the next new thing when you have that kind of mentality. Because what happens with stuff that's rare, one of two things, I think. It either gets bred so it becomes more and more common, or it all just dies off. Right. Yeah, I think yeah, more I've been and guilty more of that. want it just because of what it is. You know, mm-hmm. and to be honest, talking with people... I brought my white lips to Hamburg and I had more and more people saying that they were really cool and they really kind of wanted one. And I'm like, cool. How many snakes do you have? You ever had white lips? Oh, no, no. I have like a ball python. I'm like, please, no, <laughs> like, please don't buy mm-hmm. this animal. Like it was, and that's just right. the way it is where, and it, you, you have a responsibility to have some rare species too. I almost feel like you have some of a responsibility to one, keep it alive and two, possibly breed it so that others can, so you can help out with the projects that other people have. Like I know I'm sending a girl over to Ryan Young to diversify his bloodlines. And right. that's but you my females while caught. You yeah. love those white lip pythons though. I've heard you for years talk about yeah. them. They are the of my existence, yes. The it's lovely not like of sud- my existence. Yeah, it's not like suddenly you posted a picture of one and got ten thousand followers on social media. You mm-hmm. love them because they're awesome. People yeah. in herpticulture will sometimes work at an animal they absolutely despise because they feel there is no money in the animals that – or it's too hard working for the animals that they like. I remember buying uh, – I went over to some guy 
a friend of a friend who had reptiles. He did a ton of bearded dragons and ball pythons. Um, I'm sorry. He was at a show. He did a ton of bearded dragons and I didn't sell any of my little carpet pythons, but he sold a ton of his bearded dragons. And he told me that his real love is emerald tree boas and Amazon tree boas, but that he, Uh. there was no money in that. So he has to do the bearded dragons. I'm like, there's money in those. What are you talking about? But the problem is you have to spend the money and they're a little bit harder. So I remember vividly because a couple months down the road, a friend took me to a guy's place that was getting out and he was selling all his racks and cages. And it was this guy who said there was just mm. no money in it. So, yeah. If, if you keep what you love, you'll, you'll never get bored with it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, you're absolutely right. I think, I think, I don't know. I think that people, at least for me, I can say for me, I felt like I had to have certain things, even though I didn't want them. And I think that's like the biggest thing that I learned about like not wanting to be a full-time breeder is that, you know, I was just listening to Ron St. Pierre on Lizard Brain Radio the other day. And he was talking about basically like sometimes when you're doing it for a living, you have to do, do, you have to work with species that sort of is not necessarily your, your passion. You know, you, you, you have to still yeah. pay the bills and pay, you know, the overhead and all that kind of stuff that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. it it's sometimes a thing. Or, I mean, I think of uh, shit when we had Eugene Bissett back on in the day and the amount of snakes that he's breeding and his love was Burmese pythons. Yeah. But he breeded Burmese pythons, you know, so it's like nobody, you're not because, doing what you're buying Burmese pythons. But yeah, it's. I get well, that. Yeah, not only that, I like, oh, he's mad at us from a pet standpoint. Mm. They, they're not necessarily the best pets. But however, if you're big time into snakes, it may be, you know, I'll always love Burmese pythons, but I'll never keep one again. You know, <laughs> you saw my retic the other day, and I'm like, this thing keeps growing. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh shit. shit yeah, that's the big, yeah, that's a big snake. Um, okay. You you said your children's Darwin's, um, <clears throat> is that sort of where where you're you, and pygmies, but they're sort of out of your uh, yeah price price. Uh, if uh, if maybe I one day I'll could, produce them and I'll some. <laughs> oh my god, that would be unbelievable! Like they're the smallest python in the world. How cool is that? Yeah, it's pretty hustling. I got a pair not too long ago from uh, from uh, Doctor Julander, and yeah, they're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful snakes. But I'm gonna break the damn so things. small. Yeah, they're like that big. You know, like you're like, wait a minute, wait, <laughs> what? Oh my goodness! Uh, wow. Um. um I- go ahead. Oh, I, I was just gonna say if I if I could do a, a New Guinea room or a, a Papua New Guinea room, I would love to do um the IJ or the Papuan carpet pythons. Um and then I would love to do to try green trees at least one more time because that's the only animal I've ever been whipped by twice and it irritates me. Um <laughs> Me too. And then, 
the other the other snake that really gets me excited but it's not um i just worry about possibly introducing something to make the carpet python sick is the um candoya asper uh the viper boa i think those have a ton of potential it looks venomous it's not venomous it comes in different colors right now you can get more reddish ones or more brown or i think more yellow but could you imagine like line breeding those and they stay small so it has yeah. pet potential yeah i just worry about cool. introducing something to the snakes gotcha yeah yeah you have to have like special kind of quarantine setups for that kind of stuff if you're going to deal with Anything that potentially that a lot of them are going to be well caught because you need Mm -hmm. to take that stuff serious. Yeah. Speaking of uh, that type of thing um, and setting up animals and stuff. uh, I know originally when we, uh, we were talking about you coming on, um, you were talking about cohabitation and that's such a dirty word in the hobby. (laughs) It seemed so much passion on one side or the other. What's your thoughts? I don't get it. I don't understand why it's such a big deal. Um, as an aquarist, every single community aquarium is a cohabitated aquarium. The only thing is you have to know what fish need which different parts of the of the aquarium and who's going to get along with who. Um, it's not like these animals are out in the wild just roaming around and never see another animal it could be a good interaction a bad interaction or an indifferent reaction but they're all out there right right are you talking about like different species cohabiting or are you talking about the same species with you know or are you talking about both both um more more different species but i suppose it could be applied to the same species too. I think uh, Dr. Julander talked about cohabbing carpet pythons before. Um, yeah. Yeah. With, um, you know, I think I want to say it's at the end of the book, the art of keeping snakes and Philippe de Vogelite sort of talks about like where he saw the future of keep snakes going to a, to a spot where eventually you would have multiple species on enclosure, sort of similar mm-hmm. to what you're saying. Like, uh, you know, I don't know if you would add like an amphibian into an enclosure with some type of snake and, you know, knowing that those snakes will never necessarily, you know, interact with each other or, you know, one, it won't prey on each other. Yeah. You know, yeah. This is a fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think it's the very last chapter. He sort of talks about it. He talks know, about like vivarium ways. design, breeding, related species. Oh wait, that's beauty snake, beauty king snakes, milk snakes. Yeah, other like snakes. Very last. It's after all the species. The future. Yep. Display marketing. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's yeah. right there. Where it talks about how you know, given a chance, many snakes are reliable breeding machines. So um, low price standard affair. So you can actually really kind of go nuts with it. Um, I mean, if you listen back, challenge. if you yeah. listen back, right, in the 2000 and 
2012 when I did my first Tinley Park show. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I noticed right away was the amount of people that came through there that never even kept the snake. And they kept looking at a green tree that Julie had. Julie Bender, was she had some green trees for sale on her table. And it just captivated people. They just, you know, every person that would walk by that table stopped to see that snake, right? And the thing of it is, is like the one thing that I thought that we, that especially with Morelia, Condros or carpets that we always miss the mark is selling to people, yeah, and showing them how you could keep an animal like this and have, say, a quote unquote python, mm-hmm. a manageable python, and have a beautiful enclosure like that enclosure that you have on with the rhinos. Mm-hmm. I would bet you any amount of money you could plug type of arboreal, you know. Uh, dude, I already have plans. You know, I I want to do some kind of setup for diamonds, kind of like that. Yeah, that I mean, and then yeah. having that as a centerpiece into your mm-hmm. into your room. I think Ryan, to 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 what you're saying when when it comes to aquariums, it's like you're trapping, you know, that piece of of nature to sort of maybe get us uh, part of our monkey brain in tune with like you know our past to where we were maybe more in tune with nature that makes us feel happy or some kind of, mm-hmm. you know, dopamine hit of some sort, you know, but I think just there's some species that it's not necessarily going to work with. And, you know, um, because maybe that, you know, like a, uh, some type of Sambo or something, maybe, it's a, it's a, but even then, you know, but, but I guess my point is, especially with Morelia, because they're so out in the open and willing to be out in front and they're not mm-hmm. high. What the hell? Yeah. You know, why wouldn't you want that as a centerpiece to your instead of a fish tank? Why have wouldn't you want to have thing, yeah. a vivarium of some some sort? You know, I think it's because we 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 hit the drum so hard against keeping certain snakes in like ten gallon, twenty gallon long tanks and stuff like that, where everything shifted to cages and everything came more breeding instead of ditching the tanks we just needed to upgrade them get them better get bigger ones add stuff like that's kind of that whole thing um i think exoterra has definitely helped with that because everybody who's getting in it now mm-hmm. they don't have those giant slate bottom 20 gallon tanks that <laughs> i had when i was a kid oh God, they were so heavy. yeah yeah me too yeah, so you, now you got like a little exoterra with some doors, and they even come with some cool little backdrops and stuff like that. And there's tons of YouTube videos on how to set that stuff up to do what you want. And so um, I think you're going to start seeing more of a push. Now, I already deal with this with colubrids all the time. You know, corn snakes, king snakes, rat snakes. Most of the time, those are going for pet stuff. I mean, very rarely right. is it going to somebody who's trying to set up a breeding thing. Dipping into more things like the Mad Hogs, those are going to people who want to keep them as pets, but also people who want to breed. But then also people who maybe want to take another step up with their animals. Like they've done the Western Hognoses, and now they want to step up a little bit higher, like to the next level. So there's that kind of right. stuff. <clears throat> yeah, but why is that? Like, why is it that? If you breed, you can't keep them. Like you can't just have a pair of snakes and breed. I guess it just becomes a. a if it, you know I what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a sh- more and more of a shift towards 
having the smaller collection that maybe you breed every once in a while or having one pair. Of, yeah. yeah. You could have I mean, one Ryan, pair of boas and they could breed every yeah. couple of years and you could be fine. Ryan, do you have plans on breeding? Is that something that you want to do with uh, I mean, having a smaller pair? <laughs> so it's funny that you say that because I think I think you should title the episode this. Um, I'm possibly the worst reptile breeder ever. Um, <laughs> my okay. Uh, I've kept a a lot of different things before, and I was always worried about what's going to happen to you whenever you leave my hands. Is that person really going to take care of you? Or are you just going to be a novelty thing? And then two weeks down the road, eh, this isn't for me. And it gets sold to someone else or worse. Um, but carpets, I'm working the whole clutch. Um, I've got <laughs> my big female jungle poison. She is in with my male jungle gypsy danger right now. And they are, they were curled up like two cinnamon rolls earlier today. Um, I don't know. This is, this is my third time breeding her. Um, the other two times she was locked up with my male Vlad that I have. He's in the lower cage, but she never, never ovulated, never got any babies from her. So Hopefully third time's the charm. I talked to uh, Riley and Martin Rosemond about it. So we'll see. <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think like, <clears throat> I think that like when I was coming back into reptiles, so when I, I guess my first experience with reptiles was really just about keeping reptiles, right? It never mm-hmm. really was about breeding at that point. But the second go around that I had when I came back in, everything was focused was around breeding. And I think right. that the idea was is that, you know, it's the thing we all dream of, being able to just work with snakes and not, you know, go to our nine to five every day. The assumption is now that you're going to buy the animal to breed it. And it's the rarer case where it's like, are you just keeping this as a pet? Um I literally sold I remember the last time I had granites, I was talking to this couple and I was talking about breeding and they were like, no, 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 we don't want to breed. We just want her as a pet. I'm like, oh, and they bought her. So. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I I think we have a lot of uh, opportunities uh, to Mm -hmm. have more people be on, you know, be into reptiles or just even, you know, having them as a pet you can yeah. go on a trip and have to worry about it with the technology today you could be in hawaii and you know see what your reptile room is doing and you know if the lights don't turn off or whatever you can turn them off as long as you're mm-hmm. near wi-fi and you know what i mean <laughs> like you're good to go you know so but i don't know yeah i got that little switch bot so now my one room turns itself on and off now so <laughs> yes yeah, I mean, there's so I, I, that, I'm I sort of geek out about the technology of stuff. Speaking of, um, you know, we've never talked about 
uh, turtles on the show, but you had brought up, um, you know, Australian turtles like snake neck turtles and the pink bellies, uh, side neck turtles. Um, you know, why that they're not popular with everybody being so into Australian reptiles? What's your have you worked with them? Do you want to work with them? What's your what's your thoughts with that whole deal? Yeah. So before we start on that, I'll just say real quick. You can keep green tree, uh, I'm sorry, white tree frogs with jungle carpets. I've done it. I've seen the zoo keep white tree frogs with green tree pythons. So you can do oh, that. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah, funny to cool. see the the frogs sitting on top of the snake, and the snake's just like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um. But as far as as far as the turtles, I remember being a little boy and going to the the National Zoo down in Washington, and I remember just watching the snake neck turtles swim around, and God, they're just like the most alien thing that they shouldn't be there, but they are. How they're how they're put together? That's just such a strange looking thing. Um. So I have a, a weakness for them. I would like to work with those. Um, yeah. The. Uh, oh my goodness the the pink belly side necks. I like those. They're common, but I like them because they're so colorful. Um, right. And they've got hypos. They've got albinos. But just for a for a turtle that seems pretty friendly they don't get huge um i like those and uh there's it's just funny we don't have a lot of australian turtle species here in the state uh states the two places i look are either um turtle and tortoise ink or uh the turtle source and they they had like one species, it was just discovered, I think, or described in the 90s. They've got it. They've bred it. But they only produce so many babies per year. And I think if I had to, I would, I could put off working with the, um, oh, for goodness sakes. I just said what they were. Um, Snake necks or the pink uh, The side necks? The yeah, the pink belly side necks. I would, mm. I would be okay not doing the pink belly side necks to try to work with, um, that turtle species that there's only a handful of people producing them in the states. Right. But then yeah, I'd have I, to build a I, turtle room. <laughs> well, I guess it would help with humidity if you had, uh, if you had, right. um, in your town huh mm-hmm. interesting the, the only thing i worry about is um water is going to hold that temperature so if you're trying to do your night drops to cool the room i think that you might be fighting with the uh, the water temperature in the room gotcha wow so so a size. So this species, um, 
is it cyberneck snakeneck turtle um i'm just looking at the site um as we're sitting here talking and it's they're only uh, 300 cool. bucks wow i thought they would be thousands i mean fly river turtles are rare and thousands yeah they get all the attention. Are, right. Are fly river turtles the one that uh, you the have to nose. wet the eggs? Yep. Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. when they found out they needed to drown the eggs when they accidentally flooded their incubator and they all hatched. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah. I don't know about the turtle side of the I, – I, I, I was just talking to my wife about this, and I was like, you know, no matter what hobby you get into – no matter what hobby I get into, um, it seems like there's a group of people that nerd out about this specific thing. Right? So let me give you an example. I'm looking for a backpack um, for day hiking, right? Because yeah. the one that I have now is just too big and it's more for like a travel type of backpack. The other one that I have is too light and it doesn't really do what when I you want find to it. Do. You send me you send me the Amazon link, you know, because I'm yes, doing the same thing. Yeah. A hundred percent. And when you really go down the rabbit hole, there's people that just talk about like YouTube channels that all they do is talk about backpacks <laughs> and different packs and stuff. And I'm just like, wow, there's just a, a there's there's a nerd group every group. You know what I mean, it's just it, it, and so with the reptile hobby, right? You know, a lot of times we're so snake focused. That that's the one side of the hobby that we see. But uh, the reason I said this is because when I'm looking on their website, um, right, they have like health certificates and stuff. Is turtle hobby like way awesome. advanced than the reptile hobby is? Ryan? Oh, um, I don't know. To be honest, I, I. It's pretty much as simple as you just get your filter, get your UV light, get your heat lamp, but that's keeping them indoors. If you're keeping like North American species, you can go wild on a pond outside. Um, yeah. I know uh, yeah. like Camp Kennan on YouTube, he does a lot of stuff with turtles. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that um, all depends on where you live, if that's even a viable option, because... For me, right. I'd have to have outdoor and indoor setups for them. Right. The, the beauty with turtles, too, is you literally, you can feed them, like, uh, the main diet of pellets, and you could just get, like, an automatic feeder and get that thing programmed to drop food every so often, and then feed them different greens that you would get out of, like, your produce department, and any any cuts of fish that you might pick up like you do for your Kribos and, uh, or if you catch any fish out on the wild, probably just freeze them first mm-hmm. and then chop them up. That's awesome. It's even funny how, how they have a hybrid Florida and spiny soft shell turtle. Like that's how they write it on there. You think of all the fighting we do with like <laughs> representation. I'll, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. right there. Wow. I wonder. I wonder about that though. If there's a natural integrade, um, perhaps, yeah, maybe. Be, be, 
I was I was gonna say just for a second. I had been thinking. I know uh, Nick has the um, the Darwin and the Pop One carpets now. I think they're both under Veragata, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think we need to take a look at geography, um, the genetics and the, like the phenotype. If it's, if it's genetically or no, I'm sorry, geographically isolated, you don't breed it with something else. That's not on that same area that it is. So you wouldn't do a pop one carpet to a Darwin. Um, if it's not, this is just my opinion. If, if it's not, um, like Nipper Reed was talking about, there's two different lizards. They're genetically identical, but one has, I think, way longer limbs than the other one, but they're still classified as the, as the same. If it looks different like that, you don't breed those together. And if they're different genetically, you don't breed those together. I feel like stop mixing and matching ball pythons with green trees and all that nonsense. Yeah. You're never with that. Ev. Yeah. It's going to keep that. happening. I play, all right. uh, you know, but play Frankenstein. And, yeah. And people are, people are going to do that regardless. And there's always one person who's like, I want this animal so that I can do that. And it's like, okay, thank you. Um, so that's just where you're going to be. But I guess we'll just hit on the uh, closing questions real quick. Got a couple that we'll go through. Um, so let me see. Okay. Um, all right. If you could keep only one species and one species only, what would it be and why? Well, I am keeping them behind me and they are green tree pythons without all the bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, They are great for a pet for someone and they're very, very low maintenance whenever you have to work a ton. Awesome. And then I guess would be what is the one species you have regret um, passing on? An African dwarf crocodile. Okay. When did that when did that come up as an option? Uh, when I was sixteen. Okay. There was a guy who uh, he he had some that bred. And he would not let me do a payment plan on it. Gotcha. So, yeah. Okay. And then what's the one piece of advice that you can give to the reptile community? Mm. Less is more. Uh, Smaller. Smaller collection is easier to feed. You want to know each and every single animal and what its behavior is like so that at an instant when it's not acting right, you can be, hey, this needs to go to the vet. Something's wrong. Um, Stuff like that. Cool. 
And I guess the last one would be, what is your coolest reptile moment that you've had in the hobby, whether it was breeding, keeping, or herping? So probably it was it was getting a, a big male green iguana, and he his head was bigger than my fist is wide. The width of his mm-hmm. head, he was huge, mm-hmm. and um, gradually he let me work with him. The person that I got him from, he had a an abscess on top of his jaw, and basically over time he let me work with him enough to to be able to get that abscess to drain. Um, mm-hmm. the vet, the vet said, leave it alone. Cause it was walled the, like it was walled up, but, um, I could tell that it was still bothering him mm-hmm. and green iguanas can do a ton of damage to yeah. hands. If, if he decided to, he could have been on me in a minute, but he just closed his eyes and let me clean it out for him. Cool. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I always iguan- What's that? I always love iguanas, but it's like I can't I can't handle everything. like you know, I think you need to live in Florida or some sort of tropical thing to do iguanas. Yeah, they <laughs> fun now in the early days were marketed as like the best mm-hmm. the best reptile ever. Reptile. No. Oh. They're just the worst no. reptile pack. <laughs> now where I'm excited to see an adult iguana and then I'm excited to see an adult iguana with all its spikes and I'm like holy shit and toes look at that like it's yeah so well said a male green iguana is pretty impressive animal with the big don't jaws. nod at it you know, oh yeah don't nod your no. head at it don't <laughs> you know that's the that's the yeah. that leads to trouble <laughs> do you do much uh, herping Ryan do you herp around do you do any herping at all <sighs> Um, not as much as I, I should. Um, I like to go like, it's kind of herping on, on the boat. I take it around with a trolling motor and go look at the turtles on the logs. Um, and then there's, there's like, there's some, uh, like fields and creeks and stuff that I walk down and, take pictures of like the, the salamanders and the uh, gray tree frogs we have here. Okay. Very cool. So is there anything you want to throw out there as far as like a uh, website company name, where people can reach you, what you got going on? Oh, uh, well, trying to breed these things for the first time. Um, they can just message me on Facebook and then, I don't know if you guys like to fish. Uh, fishing is my other hobby and catfishing in particular or catfish fishing. If you guys are ever near Ohio and feel like coming on the boat, we'll try and get you hooked up with some big catfish. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Do you do the do you do noodling? Have you ever done that? Jesus. Uh, no. So noodle noodling is illegal in Ohio. Um, that catfish that they, they pull out of the hole. That's actually the male catfish that's guarding the spawn. Yeah. So really there's, Mm. 
Yeah, there's there's no data to say whether or not he goes, if they let him go, if he goes back to the nest and keeps guarding it or not. So when you're taking that male out, you're not only taking yeah. that catfish out of the system, but the entire batch of babies, too. Yeah, you're fucking with yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Learning a lot tonight. There you go. Yeah. No, it's uh, definitely very cool. So, well, awesome. This has been this has been good, and now I got all these I got gears turned in my head on what I can add to the <laughs> snake room and different various cages to go through. <coughs> yeah, I can't wait to see how it yeah, turns out. <laughs>